Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message from one of our guest speakers. Hey, glad to have you here this morning. Glad that we can gather in Jesus' name and, and worship him in spirit and in truth. And uh, this morning, what we're doing is continuing in Acts. We've been in uh, Acts chapter 2 in particular, uh, have preached the same passage twice on the church is and the church does, Acts 2, 41 to 47. And we'd actually planned, so we have a guest speaker today, Dr. Doug Ose. He was my uh, seminary advisor at Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. I'd actually arranged for him to come in March. That didn't work, right? God had different plans, so we just began to look at well, when we feel like is the best time for, for him to come and to share with us a bit of a framework for uh, our church and doctrinal belief as it relates to Holy Spirit baptism. Probably the most common question I get as people visit the church is about our, our Pentecostal heritage or background. Connection Point Church is an Assemblies of God church. And, and so with that, we have a understanding and belief that uh, the signs and wonders we see in Acts that they are for today and that those things happen because of the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. And so connected to that, I, as I get that question, what I'd like to do is explain a little bit of where did that come from? Why did the Assemblies of God even get started? And, and so I want to explain a little bit of the historical and the Dr. Ose is going to come and, and help us understand through scripture and, and theology of why this matters today. Because if honestly, if it doesn't matter, why, why even go down the road? But let me share with you, it matters. And here's why. Early 1900s, there were ministers and pastors and lay people seeking the Lord, understanding the world that we were living in, it wasn't getting better. Through all of man's achievements and improvements and desires to, to make a better world, it wasn't getting better, it was almost getting worse. And so then they began to look at scripture, these Christians, these believers, and say, well, what's God's answer? And they found it in Matthew 24, 14. They realized that the answer was Jesus needed to come again. When Jesus comes again, he will set everything right. We find in Psalm 2, he will dethrone evil rulers. Jesus is the one that can do that work. So knowing that Jesus needs to come again, they look at Matthew 24, 14, which says that all shall hear and then the end shall come. So they said, well, we want Jesus to come again, but it says that all must hear so that the end can come, so that Jesus can come again. So if all need to hear, how are we going to accomplish this? And they realized we can't. Well, what does scripture tell us? How can this be accomplished? And so then they were reading through scripture and looking at Acts and how did the disciples do it? How did they, out of a room of 120 people, grow within a couple of hundred years to millions of believers. How did that happen? And they saw it was because the Holy Spirit came. He empowered them to do the work that Jesus started, to continue that work which he started. So out of the search of scripture, then these believers, a lot of them out of Methodist background and other church backgrounds, they, they began to seek the Holy Spirit to say, we need his empowerment to do the work that he's called us to do so that all can hear, Jesus can come, set everything right, and we can go home. So think about the stage that we're in now. Okay, so 100 years later, I don't think the world's getting any better, right? 
So we still need Jesus to come again to set all things right. And for that to happen, we need everyone to hear. And for everyone to hear, we've got to go and tell them. But for us to have the strength, power, and steadfastness to share that good news, we need the Holy Spirit. We can't do that on our own. There's no way that that can be done. So out of that was this understanding, we need the Holy Spirit to do the work which he's called us to do. So what I'd like you to do, so Dr. Doug Ose is a Bible school teacher, seminary professor, a dad, a husband, a mentor, and a friend. And could we give him a great Connection Point Church welcome this morning? Well, good morning, Connection Point. Good morning to all of you in the overcapacity rooms. If you're watching online, good morning to you too. It's great to be with you and to be back. And it's a privilege to be here and unpack God's word this morning. And this time, my wife, Debbie, was able to come with me. So, uh, Debbie, would you wave? Let everybody... So uh, Debbie and I led a church. By the way, I, I appreciate the introduction, Pastor, but let me just tell you something. I'm a pastor with an education. I'm not an ivory tower egghead. So take a deep breath and relax. In fact, people are usually shocked when they find out that I've ever done anything scholarly in my entire life. So... Uh, we, we uh, Debbie and I led a church for a while, and it, when we went there, it had a, an old uh, boiler system. And uh, here's the deal about having a, a, your heat produced by a boiler. When you fire up a boiler, it's all in. And so it could be the dead of winter and 20 below outside, and inside, with the boiler going, everyone would be wiping their brows and getting their fans out. So in desert climates, the high desert, so you have long, severe winters. Uh, uh, but for the summer, they had a, a, a cooling system that didn't require as much electricity as an air conditioner called swamp coolers. And they circulate cool air that's cooled by cold water. And so when, whenever we fired up the boiler to heat the building in the middle of winter, we had to run the swamp cooler alongside it so we could keep the temperature in the 70s because it would literally go into the 90s in just an hour. That, and, and so I really know, you go all in, I, I really know what boiler up means. Connection point. I assume I'm talking to a boiler up crowd today, so... Connection, boiler up, connection point. Now, being in touch with the Holy Spirit is uh, like that. So you have to go all in. And, you know, here's the deal. I, you know, I've been on more than one spiritual journey. As a Christian, I've, God's called me to to further spiritual journeys, to develop further. I was already saved, and, but God would challenge me and work in me, and I, I know many of you too. It's, 
It's not just you accept Christ and give intellectual assent to the truth of Scripture, and then that's it. You wait for heaven. The Holy Spirit works in us, and he continues to develop us spiritually and intellectually to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and, and grow as disciples of his and let our roots grow deeper and deeper. We become more and more solid in him, and we also become more and more effective as his witnesses. So the intellect is, is a, a pathway for a lot of people on spiritual journeys, including Christians. It's, it's, a, it's, an, it's a door into, this, into your spirit. But the, the intellect's just one factor, one element of the mind. There's also, the, the Bible also talks about the spirit of the mind. And if you read the Apostle Paul, you see him using mind as the home of your spirit. The mind as the, the home of your soul. And he talks about the heart and, and the inner self. But in his later writings, especially, he hones in on the mind and the transformation of the mind, not to be conformed to this world. This world brainwash you. It'll brainwash you. I think right now there's a lot of brainwash for people to hate on each other. Most people, good people. Doesn't matter background or culture or anything else around the world. And right now we see a lot of chaos around the world and in America. And we see a lot of hate. It's evil. And what we're called on to do is make disciples of all nations. And to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Because God, Bible language from the Apostle John, God is calling a people for himself from every kindred, tribe, nation, and tongue. Every kind of person in the human race, God's calling into his kingdom. And when we get to new creation, there's going to be countless myriads of people and we'll still all be whatever we are. That's not going to change. I'll still be Os. Half Norwegian and half mongrel. <laughs> Debbie got me a DNA test for Christmas a couple years ago. And when it came back, I was way less Norwegian than I thought because my Viking ancestors had invaded. Am I still on? I've never been accused of needing a microphone. And then especially if I do my wife's favorite impression. We've got the meat. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> that was pastor saying back to it. Yeah, but that time I couldn't help it. The mic, the box fell off my belt. So this chaos that we're in and, and this, what we see around us is not the real world or the final world. If you follow Jesus, you already belong to the 
real world. This is a temporary world, and it's characterized by evil. But in heaven already right now, there's a worship service going on that's an eternal worship service. Read the, read the chapters 4 and 5 in the book of Revelation, and you'll see the songs they're singing. And every time we gather, we're participating. And every day in our lives, we're participating. And we're called to lead people out of this evil into that new creation where the Holy Spirit will invade their heads, jump in their minds, and revolutionize their spiritual DNA because your spirit feeds mind and so, so does feed intellect. Now the reverse is also true. Your intellect affects your mind. And so the major barrier that I've seen to people receiving everything God has for them. And that's all this is. People have called us Pentecostals. I know that's our heritage. But we're just Bible Christians. And really, it's, it's, it's only weird to people who haven't gotten things out of the way so God could touch them directly in their spirits. It's dangerous to turn your intellect off when you're following Jesus because you can get into freaky stuff. And growing up the way I did, you know, I saw a lot of freaky stuff. People disengaged their brains. They weren't, they weren't thoughtful. But I've also seen really dry deserts where people have allowed intellect to be a barrier to anything transcendent or supernatural in their lives. And so that's the terrain we have to traverse is to keep intellect engaged, but not let it be a barrier, to keep hearts open, to keep minds open to the supernatural and miraculous work of God, and it will start in your deepest space where you really live, in your mind, in your spirit, in your soul. That's where he starts and that's where he works. Because your final reality is not this material world. It brainwashes us in so many ways into, you know, it brainwashes the human race into hatred based on nothing. Based on nothing. Come on. Based on the color of my eyes, based on the shape of my ears, meaningless things. Thank you. And if you all won't, he'll cause a baby or a rock to cry out. Come on. And so uh, I want to say this to all of you very plainly. Don't let anything be a barrier to receiving everything God has for you. And the spirit of your mind feeds your mind. Let him jump in and revolutionize your spirit. Change your DNA from this worldly DNA where, look how else they brainwash us. What's important? How much money you got, what kind of car you drive, what kind of home you live in, what your address is, who your mama was, who your daddy was. You know, all that stuff that, that it's temporary. What's real is where we have our citizenship, 
What's real is where our DNA is. Because we're, when we follow Jesus, we become strangers here, aliens here. Because we belong there. We live between the ages. We're of new creation, but we are plunked down in this creation. We're of the age to come, but we are put in this age for a reason to lead people out of that evil into this. Jesus, he is the light of the world. He is the bread of life. He gives living waters. And he gives eternal life. And eternal life starts now. So we're going to look at what it means to be baptized in the spirit of Christ and receive the spirit. Don't let anything that's happened to you in the past, if you've been, in my opinion, misinformed and misled to believe this teaching is not in the Bible. Don't let that be a hindrance to you right now this morning. Some believers are taught that the supernatural work of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit ceased when John died, last apostle to pass, as though that foundational work of the apostles and prophets, and it was, and read about it in Ephesians 2, 20 to 22. It was the foundation of the church. Jesus and his prophets and apostles got everything started. But to say that was the end of the Spirit's supernatural work through the course of the last days, well, I have a th technical theological term for that. Malarkey. <laughs> Nowhere in the New Testament, is there even a hint that the Holy Spirit is going to stop doing what he's done since creation to the point that John died and now, sorry, but you have to live in mundane reality now. Too bad for you. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the New brings a revolution of spiritual DNA. It's a metamorphosis of our souls and minds. When you, when you accept Christ, that's not just an intellectual decision. You can't even believe in the resurrection if all it is is an intellectual decision. Give me a break. Give me some empirical evidence that there actually was a resurrection. Nobody believes that because of science. We believe it because we've opened our minds, hearts, spirits, souls, to a transcendent reality that is made plain to us and the truth of which is impressed within us by the Holy Spirit jumping in our heads. So let the Holy Spirit mess with you this morning if you've had barriers. Let him mess, open, open your mind and let him mess with you. He brings this revolution and he empowers God's people supernaturally to accomplish his purpose. And so there are two things the Holy Spirit does. Read the whole Bible. You'll see it consistently. He, he transforms people within so that they are developing more and more into the image of God. And now we, Christ has done his work more and more into the image of God, which is Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he also has always empowered people. In the Old Testament, often called the spirit of prophecy. And we don't have time to do that this morning, but take a look. And you'll see it over and over again 
when God's miracle working power was needed, the Holy Spirit came upon people. Moses hit that sea with a rod. Give me a break. Moses do that. Moses come away there from that with a new song. I'm bad. I'm bad. So bad. Bad. That's right, bad. You know it. Shamon. Ooh, ooh, baby. I hope I was able to. Sometimes I don't quite flatline that enough. But now with the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, our witness and influence is empowered by the Spirit to lead people to faith in Jesus Christ and salvation. A revolution within that's accomplished by the work of Christ and applied to our inner selves through the work of the Holy Spirit. And then there's this other work where he empowers us. And so to say that the Spirit's supernatural and miraculous works have ceased would mean that the Spirit himself has changed. Come on, he's not capable of that. He's God, he's unchanging. He was and is and is to come. He's the beginning and the end. God doesn't change, he's immutable. To say that he's mutated is biblical heresy. The Holy Spirit didn't change all of a sudden. He's still the same person and he's a very charismatic, energizing, empowering person. And a lot of, of Christians, we're going to see him in heaven, that I can't read the Bible this way because I, if you just read it, it doesn't say this. But they say the only work of the Holy Spirit is to bring us to know Christ and to glorify him. Well, that's one work of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. But to say that somehow he's not a person who's relational, that denatures the Holy Spirit. God the Father wants a relationship with you. God the Son, Jesus Christ, wants a relationship with you. And the Holy Spirit is a person. He wants a relationship with you. What are we going to just in, in, engage two members of the Trinity and ignore the third? Like, like he's an it and not a person. He's a person. And so if you say the spirit has changed, that denatures the spirit. That denatures Jesus Christ. And it denatures God the Father. So today may not, may not answer all your questions. I encourage you to search the scriptures. Search them. Read the Bible. Read Acts, read 1 Corinthians, read, read books that talk about the, you know, pay it, tune in, the whole Bible does. Read from Genesis to Revelation, get the whole story and see the role of the Holy Spirit in the whole story of God and his relationship with humanity. And in particular, ever since that alien invader invaded the human race, evil. When Adam sinned, Human nature changed. And we still have the image of God in us, but the overpowering image became the image of evil, image of first Adam. 
It became that, that evil spiritual DNA that you see immediately after when Cain murders Abel. And then in chapters 5 and 6 le leading up to the judgment of Noah, you see the transition to the children of Adam and Eve. They were, Adam and Eve created in God's image their children born in Adam's image. Until you get to Genesis 6, 5, and God looked upon us and said, every thought of man's heart is only evil all the time. Next verse. And God repented that he ever made us in the first place. Whoa. Look how patient he's been. And, and after the flood, nothing changed. It's just... As you read the Bible, you see things coursing toward the end. Chaos doesn't take Christians off guard. Evil doesn't take Christians off guard. And the big brainwash of human culture to shape us doesn't take us off guard. The icons of culture are used by the ruler of this age to brainwash us, to get our priorities wrong. Come on, Jesus followers. We have a higher purpose. <laughs> we belong to a different kingdom, a different age. Our, our DNA is different. And so, our, you know, Jesus wants to shine the, the light of the world. He wants to shine on everyone on this entire globe. But he has chosen to do it through you and me. He's chosen to do it through you and me. Well, let's jump in. And you've covered some of these, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. The purpose of being filled with the Spirit. Acts 1, 6 through 11. And I just want to highlight a couple things. The, the disciples are always getting it wrong, and they still get it wrong. Now, this is a resurrection appearance. And Jesus is about to ascend to the Father. And the, the men in Jesus' inner circle, they always got it wrong. So they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They want to rule and reign. And you see it all the way through the Gospels, too. You know, they're always asking him, can we sit at your right hand, please? Three of them sent their mama. It's like Raymond's, bro it's like Raymond's brother. His mom shows up at the FBI office. Please hire my son. You know, what in the world? They send their mom to ask Jesus, can my son sit at your right? Oh boy, I don't know about you, but where I come from, <clears throat> those three are in trouble the next day at school. They might not make it home. So Jesus tells them, look, that's not your business. Here's your business. You will receive power. And that's not the word for authority. It's the, it's the word for God's miraculous power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, that's when you receive power. And here's the purpose. And you'll be my witnesses. If you want the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life, then you have to be witnessing. You have to be influencing. You have to be using your influence to lead people to the place where you are 
increasing the probability that they're going to have faith in Jesus Christ and, and become followers of his. And without witness, there is no power. Don't expect his, his power is not for us to just sit around and say, I'm bad. His power is so that we engage. So how's your 12 going? You familiar with that phrase? How many people are you discipling? Don't, don't wait till they're Christians to disciple them. Go where they are. Go hang out at coffee shop. Get to know the people that wait on you. At, go the same one. Just simple things. Go the same one all the time. Hang out there. Get to know the people working behind the counter and then just start influencing. Start discipling them. Don't even wait. Some of them will end up accepting Christ. Where, whatever's natural for you. Coach kids sports. Get to know the parents. Begin to disciple them. Help them be healthy sports parents. Help them be proactive sports parents. That don't let the beast out of the cage. <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever is natural for you, begin to disciple people. And... And it will become known in the course of your discipling of people who you are and that you serve Jesus. It'll become known. There will be opportunities to be explicit. So begin with, unless you're doing that and using your influence, then there's not going to be power. And you, it's, you don't get to choose not to have any. Here's the deal about influence. Everybody has influence. You can't choose not to. Here's your choice. You can have negative, reactionary, damaging influence, hurtful influence, or you can have proactive, godly, upbuilding, leading to Jesus influence. But you're going to have influence. So, then verse 11, why are you standing around looking into heaven? Come on, let's go. Which was first century language of boiler up believers <laughs> while you stand around get after it make disciples of all nations and so there's an experience a first experience an initial experience of being filled with the spirit that's recorded in acts 2 1 to 4 and pastor has already preached about it i want you to just pay close attention to the phrase in verse 4 and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of verbs used for this. Filled, receive, come upon, fall upon. Several verbs in the writings of Luke, in Luke and Acts, used for this. Paul, here's the deal. Paul uses different meanings for the same words. You know, a, a word doesn't mean just one thing. Shade, when I was growing up, would be cast by a tree. Now it's thrown at you by somebody and it doesn't mean shade anymore. So, you know, words have always worked that way. There are many different meanings. And, and so when Paul says, talks about receiving the spirit in his writings, uh, he's, he's talking about receiving the spirit at salvation when he takes up residence in you. Everyone, whether they have been had this experience of empowerment or not, everyone has the Holy Spirit living in them who has faith in Jesus. Not part of the Holy Spirit, not some, 
The entire person of the Holy Spirit lives in you. You're saved. We'll see you in new creation. But in this life, the, the next question is, do you have all that God has for you? And have you opened yourself to his empowering presence to work through you, to maximize your effectiveness as a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ and be leading people to faith in him? The, the pastoral team can't do it. Denominational authorities can't do it. Local congregations can't get the whole job done, but you can have an amazing impact in West Lafayette, but it takes the church worldwide to step up and say, let me tell you about the light of the world. You want a solution for hatred? You want a solution for oppression? You want a solution for economic injustice? That's all in the Bible. Let me tell you what the solution is. Accept the Lord Jesus Christ and you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you begin to spread that around and be his witness. And they, so they had this experience of empowerment. These were already disciples. And we'll see that again. But these were already disciples now they're having an empowerment experience, not a salvation experience. Next, let's look at motive. Very important motive. Simon the sorcerer could have written the song. In this passage, he likes to be known as the great power of God. He likes to be the spiritual big shot. And so when he sees people being filled with the Spirit, when the apostles laid hands on them, Peter and John, he said, verse 19, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my, my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter responds and says at the end of his response, your heart's not right with God. If, if you want power just for stroking self, for feeling like you're an insider somehow or first class somehow and everybody else is second class or whatever other motives there are other than glorifying God, leading people to Jesus and being his witnesses. You can't have false motives in this, friends. Got to be in it for real. Let me tell you something about this generation. I know. What do you know about this generation? Well, it's that I've been hanging out with them. I've been hanging out with generations since the late 70s as a pastor and a professor. I've deliberately surrounded myself not just with people my age. So I don't take scientific surveys. I sit down at the Solid Rock Coffee House in Springfield, Missouri with millennials, and zombies, that Gen Z, in case you didn't know. They're trying to avoid the fact Gen Z stands for zombie generation. I, I, do, I intentionally hang out because I want to know. I ask them, what kind of church would you attend? What do you want in your Christian walk? I, I, I listen. I, you know what the most common response is? Nobody's ever asked me that before. I feel like my opinion doesn't count. Well, I want to tell you something, and I know 
Pastor Zach Maddox is in this space. The Church of Jesus Christ for everybody, all age groups, all demographics, and, and if you're young, your opinion counts too. But this generation is, the mo is, is so hungry. The chaos and, and the, the demise of the human race and the descent of the human race further and further into evil is a huge opportunity for the church because it is sparking and spawning spiritual journeys on the part of so many people. They know something's really wrong here. There's got to be something better. Well, there is, and people are turning to God, and some are just going on a search for, there has to be, there has to be something terribly wrong here. Some choose evil paths in search of a solution. But this generation, I'll tell you something, they want authentic, transparent, boiler-up Christianity. All in. When a millennial accepts Christ, they don't just still want to keep their nice, clean little life. They're all in. They want to grow. They want to, they want to develop. They, they embrace it. They are passionate about it. And, and they want to know what the Bible really says. And, you know, they're sick of church as performance. They want to be sitting in a worship service where while the band is playing, the presence of the Holy Spirit becomes tangible like he did this morning while we were singing. And then they want to hear clearly what it means to follow Jesus from his word and who he is. And if they're not Christians yet, this if you happen to tune in on the Internet or if you're here this morning with a, a question on your mind, uh, because you're searching and you want to investigate, find out who Jesus really is, this is the church to be at. You stick with Connection Point, you're going to find out what it really means to follow him, and you're going to be challenged, and then when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, say yes to him, don't, don't say no. Say yes. And so Simon had false motives. Just being it for real, I'll tell you something, millennials and Gen Zs, I'll see right through you if you're fake anyway. They'll know it in a second. You're just full of baloney, man. That's right. Now let's talk about our uh, higher purpose, empowerment and higher purpose. This is Paul. He's on his way to Damascus to kill Christians. And so God ends up sending Ananias to him, he says to Ananias, go, he's a chosen instrument of mine. And we heard a word from, and I'm sorry, I don't know her name. I, I think, I, I, do, what? Uh, the singer? She can sing, just saying. Girl can wail. I wanted to package her up and bring her back with me. Man. She said it. And I'm over here going, she's stealing my thunder right now, but it was good. <laughs> but all of you are chosen instruments of his. Apostle Paul was, but all of you are. You all, you all have a unique uh, self. Odds are uh, infinite. 
that in your favor that your DNA and experience is unique in the history of the entire human race since creation. There's never been one like you. You're it. And God has a higher purpose for you. And it might not be vocational ministry. I don't think callings are restricted to people who serve the church full time. Every one of you has a calling and your vocation is God's way of blessing you and your family and providing and everything else. But each one of you has a higher purpose that God's called you to also alongside that. And he wants you to be witnessing that way. Your higher purpose, God wants to accomplish. And as long as your heart's sincere and open to him, he will accomplish it. Read Romans chapter 8. So Ananias lays hands on Paul and he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's rose, he, 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 he regains his sight, he rises up and he was baptized. And just notice the order of that. You don't have to be baptized Christian first and then be empowered by the Spirit. In the New Testament, they kind of happen alongside each other. Salvation and empowerment. Sometimes there's a delay. So understand that empowerment for witness means you fulfilling your higher purpose. And so again, I want to revisit this briefly. I want to talk about salvation, empowerment, and inner trans transformation. Here, there's a bit of delay. In verse 1, you see that these men Paul ran into in Ephesus uh, are called disciples. Now, when Luke uses that word standalone, it means Christian. If they're not a disciple of Jesus, he will specify that they're a disciple of someone else, like a disciple of John. They're disciples, so they're already believers. And he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, Basically, what's the Holy Spirit? We don't know what that is. They're about to find out. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now that's the second time that we see the initial filling with the Spirit result in a spiritual language coming forth. In Acts 8, 14 to 21, the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. 16, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, see the order doesn't matter, but I want you to note here, they'd already been baptized Christian. They were already Christians. Now, so the Holy Spirit lived in them, he was resident in them. He was transforming them. But now they're about to be empowered for their witness. Two distinguishable works of the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's talk about flesh and spirit. Romans 8, 5 through 11. This is the work of the Spirit to transform. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. If your spirit is focused on the world, then it's going to feed your mind with the things of the world. Now, I'm not going to do a laundry list. You've got your own laundry list. I don't have to tell you what those things are. It doesn't take a genius. But if your mind is set on the priorities of this materialistic world, 
this world full of hate and all the other stuff, if your mind's set on the priorities of this age, it will not be set on the things of the Spirit. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And so you're transformed. Your mind, your very mind is transformed. And Paul mentions that in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't buy into the priorities and philosophies of the world. Man, just, just okay, I'm a mess. Just take music, for example. I, I don't just listen to Christian music, but there's certain music I will not put in my head. Lyrics, for example, that encourage violence against women and abuse of women. And, and go to music videos. So young teenage girls thinking that certain female music icons run around dressed like that all the time. No, they don't. They run around sweatpants and tennis shoes. They don't show up at school like that. That's just a stage performance, but it brainwashes young people. Well, I'll let you have your own laundry list. But some things just bug me. Man, I know this new movie that's in the news all over the places. You know, the producers say it was intended to tell people about the exploitation of these young girls. True. I, I, won't, I won't say they're lying. I'm just saying that the way it's being marketed, it attracts pedophiles. Man, come on, Holy Spirit, help us. Now you, and I can say this to you at, at Connection Point, you're not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. I know that. And Paul adds this qualifier, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's the definition of a Christian. When you accept Christ, the Spirit comes and lives in you. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ living in you, you don't even belong to him. We're talking about differences and this is salvation and transformation and the Holy Spirit does that and he also empowers us. You're being transformed into the image, the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So now I want to talk about many fillings. Being filled with the Spirit initially is not the only filling for believers. Uh, because God knows we need refreshing, so regularly the Holy Spirit will rise up in us to renew us in mind, even in energy. He works that way. And so here in Acts 4, it's the same crowd that was present on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, same group of people. And Peter is praying, and verse 31 says, And when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Exactly. So don't, don't think, well, I, I've received the Holy Spirit now and I've spoken in tongues, so I'm, I made it. No, you began. You didn't make it. You began. You, you just received some more of what God has for you 
and your journey is going to be fuller and richer because of it. But I, I have to qualify that this way. I don't believe there's a tier system in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ where there are first-class Christians and second-class Christians. A lot of, and you have them too, if you're spirit-filled, you have a lot of good brothers and sisters that don't agree with us about this. Now, I think it affects witness. The Bible says it affects witness. The Bible doesn't say it affects salvation. But it empowers witness. And so my question to my friends is always, why don't you want everything God has for you? It's right here in the Bible. Why wouldn't you want to transcend the mundane and let God do things that leave you awestruck? And then Acts 13, 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Joy is one of the three things Paul mentions in Romans 14. The kingdom of God consists of this, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and I noticed that on the worship team today. You ever been in a, a church where no one on the worship team ever smiles? You're sitting out there going, I don't Man, whatever day God, I don't want. This is an old one. This goes way back decades in my life. But once this church was singing a, a, a 70s worship chorus, I'm sorry, but I'm going to quote it. Um, I feel the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. And I, as I sang those lines, I realized I'm telling a bold-faced lie. I don't see glory on anybody's face. And I think the angels checked out about 20 minutes ago and went down. To... They were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean life's easy. You still struggle. You, you know, life's a mixed bag. Read the Bible. Proverbs, for example, says life's, life's full of joy and sorrow and sometimes at the same time. You have, you have some joy sources in your life and you have some sorrow sources in your life. And, and life's a mixed bag that way, even if you're filled with the Spirit, but there's a deeper underpinning of joy. You know, I don't think Paul and Silas enjoyed being thrown down in that pit in the very bottom of that prison. But there they were, singing praises and rejoicing. Because there's a deeper joy, no matter what's going on in this age, in your life, there's always a deeper source of joy in the Holy Spirit that can help you get through to the other side. And no matter what you're facing, you come out of the tunnel. Now let's talk about the global sign of tongues in Acts. Because every time someone's baptized in the Spirit or filled with the Spirit in Acts, it's moving to a new people group because God's showing us through the writings of Luke that the Holy Spirit encompasses all believers. Messiah's come now. Those rivers of living water have been poured out and they touch everyone. And so while Peter was still preaching, so don't wait for me to finish. If the Holy Spirit falls on you, you just go on and be filled. Just go ahead and be immersed. That's what the word baptism means. 
You know, it's lost, it's kind of lost its meaning. Go ahead and be immersed in God's presence right now. You don't have to wait till I'm done. Let, let the Lord Jesus Christ dunk you in the Holy Spirit. And believers from among the circumcised, so that's how Luke refers to the Jewish brothers that had come with Peter from Joppa, were amazed. Now they're amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on Gentiles. Oh, we thought that was only for us. No, 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 no. They, they still had that exclusionary mentality about their religion. Don't let a religious spirit get in the way of you opening your mind and heart to what God has for you. And don't let it bring any arrogance to your heart at all. They were amazed. The Holy Spirit's poured out even on the Gentiles. How'd they know? How did they know that the Holy Spirit had been poured out? Verse 46. They heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So if anybody ever says, how can a physical sign be a sign of a spiritual experience? Well, I don't know. Ask Luke. <laughs> yeah. How'd they know? Because tongues was the sign that indicated the Gentiles actually really authentically received the Holy Spirit to empower them. And so then they commanded, they told Peter, okay, let's baptize them. And they baptized them. Now all the Gentiles, all the nations are included. So I want to speak with you about the spiritual language in your life, in the disciples' life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So he's distinguishing something here. Tongues is a language of your human spirit. God has put a supernatural ability in you. And he's put it in all humans, but not everyone appropriates it. Not everyone even follows Jesus. But there are supernatural elements to creation that God's put in us. And one of those is, and the Lord Jesus Christ through the Spirit has to activate this. But one of those is praying in a way that transcends our intellect. It's not irrational. It's not non-rational. Don't disengage your intellect. But it is transrational. And you can, with your spiritual language, you can pray to God spirit to spirit. And sometimes he'll let you in on what you're saying, but not always. But you know you're connecting with him. You know there's spirit to spirit communication going on. In 1 Corinthians 14 verses 4 through 8, you see that speaking in tongues is speaking directly to God and not to men. You utter mysteries in your spirit. So unless the, the primary purpose of tongues is prayer, praise and thanksgiving, and its, it's, its primary purpose isn't to address the congregation. But when that happens, then there has to be a translator. 
so that the congregation can be encouraged and built up through the message, which will be prayer, praise, or thanksgiving. You read it right there in chapter 14. Your spirit prays, but it exceeds your intellect, so your intellect isn't necessarily understanding everything that goes on. You're speaking directly to God. Prophecy addresses people in an understandable language. Now, you may have been taught that this spiritual language is always human languages. Well, then why did they need translators at Corinth? Exactly. So 1 Corinthians 14, 18 to 20 says, I thank, Paul writes, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. This is a positive. This is a good thing in your Christian walk. He's speaking there of his prayer life. He thanks God he speaks in tongues more than all the Corinthians. But in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind, they're used as intellect, to instruct others. And so with regard to spiritual gifts, be mature. You know, if you want to be an infant, be, be naive about evil. Don't subject yourself to know more about evil than is already thrust upon you every day. But be mature in your spiritual thinking to understand what these gifts are for. And speaking in tongues is primarily a language for your prayer life. And once in a while, if there's a translator, it's a prayer or a praise or a thanksgiving for the whole church. I had become in my ministry life a, a Pharisee. I... I confessed back then and um, had to visit some people to set things right because I had been a defender of the faith and um, I'd just become a legalistic Pharisee about doctrine. And God had to um, crush me, pulverize me, get me on the potter's wheel as a piece of a hard cracked clay and start pouring water on me and pruning, you know, another image had to, had to really work on me for a couple years to get me where I was pliable enough that he could start to work through me again. I was a devout believer, <laughs> Dev devout. I was blind to my own Pharisaism. And once God got me to that point where he could actually do something, he paid me a visit. He mugged me and he ruined my ministry. <laughs> yeah. But that was at the same time the most amazing experience I'd ever had in the Holy Spirit. Lasted a couple hours and I'll just tell you, I came up out of that just different lenses, different worldview, different heart. I know it, it happens at salvation, but he's not done. He has more. He has more transformation and he has more empowerment in your life. Now, we can't do altar calls like we normally do, where people respond and people lay hands on you. So we're going to respect everyone with regard to this virus. 
But right where you are right now, do you hear the voice of the Spirit? Because we saw in the case of Cornelius, Peter didn't lay hands on anybody. There's no one way. So right where you're sitting right now, in the overcapacity rooms, or if you're watching online in your living room, right now, if you will, set aside all barriers, the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to raise your level, maximize your effectiveness as a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to say one more thing just to help. Here's the most common objection I hear when I am praying for people around the front of a church and laying hands on them with the pastor and the prayer team, praying they'll be empowered by the Spirit, filled, immersed in the Spirit. The most common remark I get that's a barrier is, I feel like I'm doing the talking, except they haven't said anything yet. I feel like I'll be talking. You should feel like you'll be talking. This isn't a, uh, uh, an Eastern mystical religion. This is Bible. It's your spirit that's going to speak. Now, you'll be inspired to do it by the Holy Spirit, but you will be doing the talking. And so just like if you say something to me, you have to decide to say it to me or you'll remain silent. And so when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, don't let that be a barrier. I feel like I'm going to be talking. That's a good thing that you feel like you'll be talking. If you don't feel like you're doing the talking now, we've got a problem, Houston. You're working with the Holy Spirit, but your spirit will be speaking. And it's a, it's a matter of your will to let that happen, just like if you speak in your known language. Let it out. You can let it out right now. Holy Spirit speaking to you. Go ahead right now. Just follow his lead. And I know a lot of people are hesitant in public. I know that. God understands who you are. I want to encourage you right now to receive the Spirit, but if it doesn't happen first tonight, some point, get alone in your bedroom or wherever and open your mind and follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter where you are or when, follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. But at some point, launch into this area that exceeds your intellect. Be open enough to let God do something supernatural and miraculous that maybe you don't fully understand, but you know it's in the Bible. Let that happen. You're going to have a direct connection, spirit to spirit, with God when you pray that way.